and welcome to the next episode of the Shift Talk podcast. Um, we are back here again uh, with a new installment here. We got some more hot takes for you, and we are going to be reviewing uh, the social network, as you can see from the title of the episode. Um, we really appreciate all the feedback and response uh, and listens uh, that we got on the first two episodes. Our second episode actually outdid our first episode um, so far this week, so we really do appreciate all the support. If you're not already, uh, go ahead and follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at the handle at Shift Talking. Uh, and on Facebook, uh, our page is just called Shift Talk. You can find us there. Uh, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you have not already. Uh, you, every time we upload, you know, it'll be right in your feed at the top every time uh, we're live there. And rate us five stars if you're feeling generous. And as far as third-party apps go, we're not on Spotify yet, but we are working on it. But if you do have an Android uh, or a non-Apple um, smartphone, then you can find us on Podbean. I do believe Podbean is uh, available on the Google Play Store. And you can just go to your browser and make a free account on Podbean if you want to do it that way. Um, but without further ado, like I said, again, we appreciate all the support. Um, but not to, you know, delay any longer, uh, we're going to get right into our hot take section first, and then the review will follow just like always. Um, so yeah, we really hope you enjoy the show. So I'm going to start off with my hot take, and this is one that I'm sure you guys have known is coming, but, uh, surely, surely, you know, you both know me pretty well now. But my hot take is The Shining is a terrible movie. And look, I'm I'm not a Stanley Kubrick hater or anything. I think he's one of the best film directors of all time. But uh, he made some major, major mistakes with this movie, in my opinion. Um, of course, The Shining is adapted from a Stephen King book, which you both know Stephen King is one of my favorite authors. And... You know, I, I understand that it's not easy to always make a movie from a book and that, you know, and every every movie that comes from a book, things have to change. Uh, some things you just can't adapt onto, onto a screen, especially from a Stephen King book. But I just really think that Stanley Kubrick does a very, very poor job with The Shining. And one of the main reasons is I think the characters in this movie are just, paper absolutely paper thin there's there's nothing to them um jack nicholson's character uh jack torrance um he's he's nothing like he is in the book there's there's no substance to that character he just kind of starts going crazy and there's no explanation for it other than you know the hotel is making crazy and that's all we get the entire movie and whereas in the book, and I'm going to try not to spoil the book because I, I would like for everybody to go read it at some point, and I'll try not to compare it too much to the book, but in this case, it's absolutely necessary. In the book, Jack is a character that has a ton of depth. You feel sympathetic for him. He's, he's a flawed character, just like he is in the movie. He's an alcoholic, um, but he's not a bad person. And in the book, he makes strides, even at the hotel, while he's dealing with all his struggles and he's starting to go crazy. He's still deep down a good person and he's trying to trying to protect his family. And it's just a really slow descent into madness where in the movie, there's there's no descent at all. He just falls into a pit right off the 
right off the bat and he's crazy from the beginning and um but just really really doesn't work for me in the movie and then danny torrance the the child there's really no point to his character either other than he has the shine that's really all the depth we get to him and then wendy is your basic female character in a horror movie which is sad to say because she has a ton of depth in the uh in the book also and that's just something that I think Stanley Kubrick went all style and no substance with this movie. Um, it's very well made, but he put no time into the characters and the script, and it's it's really disappointing. And my last point, I'm, I'm not going to spoil any of the book, but I will say that the ending of the movie is one of the worst movie endings that I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, even for a horror movie where you have to suspend you have to have a healthy dose of suspension of disbelief. I mean, even that being the case, this one is just mind blowing how he came up with it. Um, it makes no sense. It's, uh, it's nothing compared to the book. And I, like I said, I, I don't mean to keep harping on the comparing it to the book, but there's really no reason to make the changes he did and the changes he made do not work. So I'm going to be interested to see what you what you guys' opinion is on this. But yeah, my hot take is The Shining is not an average movie; it's a bad movie. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and cheat just a tiny bit because I happen to know that Cruz. Uh, I know I happen to know how he feels about the movie. So if if I may, Cruz, I'm going to go ahead and just offer up my feedback here. Um, and, uh, not to gang up on you, but I completely agree, uh, with everything Jake just said. Now, I do think there is some room for, you know, there's some room to parse through some of the things that you said, because I feel like if you had no knowledge of The Shining as a novel, I think that if you just watched The Shining, which I feel like most people probably did, um, as with as popular as it is. I think I think it works in that sense somewhat. Now I, I still don't think that it's you know outstanding even if you even if devoid of the novel itself. I don't think it's outstanding. But I will defend it in in that slight way that if if you're not comparing to the novel at all, I think it performs well better than you give it credit for. But you know, pretty much everything else, I, th I think you're spot on there. I did, the style of the movie that Kubrick went for is amazing. The aesthetic is great. The music is great. And, and when you're watching it, you the feeling you have when you're watching it is good. I feel like that's that's about, that's my baseline for how I feel about the movie. Um, I'm in a peculiar situation because I, I had never seen the movie. And I read the book before watching the movie. And I, like you, I mean, I I was a huge fan of the book. Um, like you said, the character depth was something that, it was easily my favorite part of the book. Uh, and I, again, I'm not going to spoil the book uh, either, but the depth that each character has is, you know, it, it is what carries the novel and it makes you feel for these complex characters, Jack Torrance being the main one. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that you're right about is the the paper thin characters and the paper thin uh, connection to the source material itself because I feel like the movie 
doesn't really even need to be called The Shining. I feel like they made the movie. He made the movie. He had he saw the idea for the movie. He made it, and then he. It's almost like he remembered at the last minute. He's like, "Oh, I have to. I, I need to have this scene where Halloran talks about The Shining with Danny. Like, I need to have that one scene in there so people understand why the movie's called this. Like, we don't get exposition about it. We don't get background or lore really and i know you're not always supposed to have everything explained to you i i don't i don't want that but i i, I could i just couldn't agree more i, I think it's it, it takes the name it takes the the baseline story of what happens and there's not there's not a lot of meat left on the bone it's it's just it's just the bone um and last thing before I let uh, Cruz offer up his uh, rebuttal here is uh, I, I completely agree with the, your take about the ending too. I, I think that even even when you don't compare it to how good the book's ending is, it, it just it left me in disbelief. I had always seen that gif of uh, you know Jack Nicholson, like w- what he looks like at the. I think ending. we can. I think it's fair to. Is spoil the ending of the movie. I mean, yeah, I think I think that's fair too. I mean, I wasn't going to at this point. Okay, yeah, whatever. Okay, so you've you've all seen the GIF of Jack Nicholson where he looks like Frosty the Snowman's uncle, where he's sitting out in front of the hedges, and it it just looks goofy. And I'll I'll be I will be perfectly honest. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not making this up. Whenever I used to see that GIF or that picture like on the internet, I, I thought it was from a comedy. I really did. I thought, okay, I didn't know Jack Nicholson played in these types of movies. Like, yeah, I, I this is some slapstick, you know, ha ha, dad got left out of the movie under management. Yeah, well, yeah, I have. I, okay, take that back. I, I have seen that, but you know, it, I just thought it was like, you know, oh ha ha, dad, papa got left out in the snow. Like, I, I don't know. It just seemed so goofy to me. And when I watched it unfold in the movie, I, I just my mouth just kind of fell open, like. I I just I don't know. It just really it doesn't fit the tone of the movie at all because this I will say the scene leading up to that where he's chasing Danny through the the hedge maze, you know, is thrilling and it's pretty pretty terrifying, I would say. I mean, it's it's a really good part of the movie and I was interested to see once I knew that the ending was going to be different, I was interested to see where it was going to go and when it ended like that, I just yeah, it was kind of just the the nail on the head for me uh, of me the nail in the coffin, I should say, uh, for me not enjoying the movie. But I've said enough. I, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, Cruz, uh, if you can control if you can control yourself, uh, if you can compose yourself, uh, please let us know uh, how much we have disrespected you and your love for this movie. Uh, well, Jack, I actually um, I do agree with you. I do think Stanley Kubrick is one of the greatest filmmakers to ever live. Um, uh, I'm not a, I'm not like a kiss the ground that he work, uh, walks on type of thing. Like I don't get mad when people don't uh, like his movies or anything like that. Not saying that, like I don't mean that in a condescending way, uh, but like, I'm just not like a huge fanboy of his. Like I really love his movies, but I don't get like super defensive for him. But I will say my favorite movie from him is the shining and it is in my top 10. Um, and there's like there's a lot I agree like it's that it's not that I disagree with a lot of the things you said I agree with you and I understand especially if you love the book 
why you would not be into this movie because it is kind of like I mean it's a spit in the face to to the to the book. Um, but the reason I love the movie is I think I think it's pretty much I think The Shining is really like kind of almost like this postmodern horror movie, like one of the first big postmodern horror movies where it took the cliches and the structure of a horror movie and just completely like laid it flat, bare bones, almost as a way to like examine uh, what about horror movies really like, or like what about like horror in general, like just a story, how that affects audiences and, and how, how people like engage with those types of stories. Cause like the, the story of the shining in terms of Stanley Kubrick wanting to adapt it is he was reading a bunch of horror novels and he didn't like any of them. And then he read the shining and he really liked it. And so he decided to adapt it, but he pretty much, he just stripped it. Like the whole, the whole thing is when he worked on it, he wrote an outline of the structure of the story. Cause that's what he was more into. He wasn't necessarily into the extra meat that Stanley, that Stephen King put in, but it was the structure. Cause he was trying to examine a horror story through its structure. And I think that's what I love about this movie so much. Um, because I'll agree, there's not a, a really a, a big story to it. And there's not necessarily a lot of depth to the characters, so to speak. Um, there's a lot of things that don't make sense. The, the, uh, the structure of the hotel doesn't make sense. I mean, that's been talked about. There are scenes that just happen that shouldn't happen that doesn't make sense like the movie is like it's almost like the movie's a big troll but i think that was kind of the point of the movie because i think i think when you like look at horror movies he was trying to take the bare bones of the atmosphere and kind of like this sense of oscillation and so forth and really expand on that and i think the reaction to that movie was kind of a success of what he was trying to do because you have, I mean, there's documentaries about all the theories that people have about this movie. People try to dissect this movie and, and they say it's about the moon landing or they say it's about alcoholism or they say it's about, um, what is it about uh, colonialism and, and native American history. Like there's all these crazy reactions to the movie and people always are trying to figure it out and they overanalyze the movie. And, I think that was kind of his intention is taking the structure of a horror movie and using that to play with the audience itself. And I think that's why it subverts a lot of expectations. And I think that's why it has a kind of thin characters because the characters kind of serve as your stereotypical characters in a horror movie and just kind of the supernatural elements. And then there's the subversion of expectations. Um, I mean, that's, the thing is, I, the Shine's one of those things where I do kind of get the criticisms. I think that's like one of the few Stanley Kubrick movies that you really can't defend because I think all the things that people criticize it for is kind of the intention. And I know that's usually like a cop out, but I think that what this movie's supposed to be is it's taking a horror film and in, in the story and just kind of stripping it back bare bone and really deconstructing it and, and using that as like a, a way to play with the audience. And that's what I love about the movie. Um, I understand though, like not a lot of people loving that because at the end of the day, like especially where we are now, we're kind of liking horror movies to give us a lot more substance and, and kind of serve as metaphors and stuff nowadays for a lot of different things. 
And so, uh, and especially if you're a fan of the book, I mean, because like I said, it is a spit in the face of the Stephen King novel. I'm not super attached to that book. Um, I'm not a huge, like, I like Stephen King's work, but I'm not like a, a huge fan of his like that. But I agree. I mean, I agree with you in terms of your criticisms. It's just that where you think it's an example of it being bad, I think it's almost like an experiment with the horror genre. And that's what I love about it. And that's why I think it's so... Uh, intriguing that's why i think it's such a great movie and everything works for me in that way i love the ending actually and i love its juxtaposition to the book because i love how the book without spoiling the book i won't spoil the book but i love how the book the way it's it kind of ends involving fire and the book being so warm and very emotional and then this book ends uh with snow and it being so cold and distant and kind of taking the human factor out of it, which is also a big Stanley Kubrick thing because he takes the humanity out of some. He analyzes humanity, but he takes the humanity out before he analyzes humanity. And that's another thing, though, that kind of works with this movie because, I mean, you could still look at it how it works with people in isolation. I mean, I know that his turn is quick and there's some uh, little hints that he's not stable mentally before going to the um, hotel. But I do think you can also kind of look at it as a way of just how, when isolated, how humans treat other humans and, and such and so forth like that. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I understand. And I, I, I think there's a lot of merit to your criticisms of The Shining. I just think it's intentional, and that's what I like about it. But uh, I think people who want to, like, jump the gun and are willing to hate on anyone who has a criticism against the shining i think that's you know I, I think that's unfair i think there's a lot to criticize about any movie but i mean i, I understand the criticisms of the shining I, I think there's a lot of merit even if i think that's the point it is one of my favorite movies though it was my favorite horror movie for a long time until antichrist replaced it <laughs> well you know i want to go back to a couple of things you said and i, I do want to compliment it that it does have some like genuine scary creepy scenes like i'm not saying that like it kubrick kubrick is a great director and you know some of the scene like the horror scenes from this movie are iconic and i don't really have anything to criticize about that and you know you were saying that this was in the way he did things in this movie it was kind of intentional and the way that i would just respond to that is if that was his intent why not just make his own movie and not adapt somebody else's story. If he's wanting to, you know, make a critique on the horror horror industry, then I feel like he'd have been better off just making his own movie with his own screenplay. But you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting you say because I feel like at that point Kubrick seems like the type of director that would want to go that route but i feel like if he really did you know admire the structure so much like cruz was talking about you know i, I could definitely see and, and i don't i haven't done the research into how the licensing worked out between him and him and stephen king but you know it could almost be a situation where he felt kind of tied down to you know adapt that story specifically because i feel like you know, at that time, I feel like Stephen King wouldn't want to kind of give his one of his children away, so to speak, if he oh, yeah. wasn't. Stephen it, King absolutely hates the movie. Right. I mean, he, it, he, but I feel like he's been vocal the, about that. Yeah. Before the movie was created, I just feel like he wouldn't be willing to say, hey, Stan, you know, yeah, you can take my story structure, but don't, you know, 
adapt my, you know, don't put my name on it type of thing. He wouldn't want to do that. I feel like at the time, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be willing to do that. So I feel like Kubrick could have been, you know, kind of influenced in that way. Um, and just to very briefly touch on things Cruz said, yeah, I do, I do think that depending on the framework in which you view the movie, it could, it could be appealing to many different people. Um, for, for many different reasons. Um, like I said, the production and the cinematography and the score really save it from just, you know, me just not enjoying it at all. Um, but I do think, you know, the biases we have about the novel, I think it's just hard for us to get over those. But, but I do think that um, it, it's a solid point that if you're looking at it from a, and, and that's why I tried to lead with that whenever I had my take, that when you when you throw out the novel, if you just look at it as a movie itself, I, I do think it has, you know, it does have value. Um, I think, I think my bias is just very strong with the novel. Uh, so that's how I, that's what informed my feelings about it. But yeah, when all, I think yeah. me and Jake will always disagree too, when he says, why don't I just make your own thing? Which I think, I think the reason why he didn't make his own thing is because his whole point was that he felt like the shining, the structure of the shining was like the quintessential structure of a horror. And so that's what he wanted to deconstruct. And I think he probably couldn't deconstruct. Like if he tried to deconstruct that type of structure, it would be, and he, he didn't like buy the rights to the shining and adapt it. Then he would be like, you know, he probably get in some legal trouble. But I think one thing that, but I think one thing we also always disagree on is, is what you can do with an adaptation. Um, because, my whole thing on adaptations is I don't think you have to be um, faithful to your source material. If you're going to adapt a source material, I think you either need to adapt it faithfully and reinforce all the themes that the source material is trying to do or use the structure of the source material and use that story to um, explore new themes that the original source material didn't do. And, um, I feel like that's what The Shining kind of does and it's way in how it deconstructs the horror genre. Um, but as long as you're doing one of those two things, that's what I'm okay with. And that's why I give it a pass. I can understand that. I don't know if I agree, uh, but I can, I can appreciate that opinion. I definitely think with adaptations, the main goal you should have, and I'm fine if you change things, I think the main goal should always be to uphold the themes uh, the themes and stories that it tried to tell. Now, if that means you change a plot element or you change a character's motivations, that's fine. In I would think in certain situations, but yeah, I, I think I think I'm probably a a purist in the sense that I want I want the story to be honored. The the story that that the filmmaker felt inspired to make. I think there's a reason they felt inspired by it. Now I'm obviously not a filmmaker, so if they if they are more inspired to tell a different story, more power to them. I just think that for my personal preference, I would I would prefer the story to be honored as closely as possible, with exceptions for things that you know you could take pit stop, take different routes to the to the end goal if that makes sense. You don't have to take the same way that the author did, but I think you should always end up at the same destination if that makes if that makes sense. I can understand that. I mean, like, I, I don't have a. Uh, I, I understand people wanting, um, especially if you have like an attachment to the source material. 
Um, it's funny because like my whole thing, usually my examples with how you how how to adapt source material is either you know use the structure but do something different with it like the shining or be faithful like no control men. So, but that's just like my thing with source material. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that was uh it didn't it didn't get as uh didn't get as fire as I thought it would. We that was pretty civil. But I definitely think uh, we've reached our first disagreement as far as hot takes go. Uh, so it's the first time for everything. Um, Don't let me see you in person, Jake. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, uh, moving right along, uh, Cruz, uh, you are up. Your hot take is on deck, sir. Yeah, so my uh, hot take, I already know that. Uh, Matthew agrees with me because we he accidentally like described my entire hot take without even knowing that that was going to be my hot take. Um, it just happened into a natural conversation. He just happened to get it. So um, my th- my hot takes on the Dark Knight trilogy. I think the Dark Knight trilogy does not deserve to be considered one of the greatest trilogies of all time because I hear a lot of people call it one of the greatest trilogies of all time. And I think when people are praising the Dark Knight trilogy, they're really praising the film The Dark Knight, which is a great movie. I love The Dark Knight. But I think I feel like that movie is kind of just what the entire trilogy hangs around. And I don't think that's that's like the criteria to be one of the greatest trilogies. Um, Batman Begins gets left in the dirt a lot. A lot of people forget about that movie anyway, which I don't think is fair. Um, and then people will kind of acknowledge that the Dark Knight Rises has flaws, but then they're always like, but you know, the Dark Knight, you know, like the film, the Dark Knight, and then they just group it into the trilogy. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's uh, a fair assessment when trying to decide, like, if you're a great trilogy or not. I think, um, the Dark Knight trilogy is like an example of, uh, an imbalance of like action and spectacle and story. Because Batman Begins, I feel like, has a really good story and really good writing, but the action is filmed poorly. It's very shaky, and you can barely see what's going on. And then The Dark Knight Rises has great action spectacle, but it has a very poor story um, all over the place and messy. And then The Dark Knight balances it perfectly. It's got great action spectacle and story. And I feel like to to be one of the greatest trilogies... You don't need a huge drop in quality among your movies, even if even if one of them is super great. I think you know if you're going to be considered one of the best trilogies, you need to do what uh, Lord of the Rings does. Like everyone loves every Lord of the Rings trilogy, every Lord of the Rings movie to the point where they don't even some of them don't even consider it a trilogy because they run so well together. And there's such a there's like no difference in quality. But with the Dark Knight trilogy, Batman Begins is is really good and then you have a huge increase with the dark knot and then you have a pretty a pretty big drop with the dark knot rises i don't think the dark knot rises is bad i really like the movie but there's such a drop off in quality that i just don't think it's i don't think it's a it's fair and this movie gets this trilogy gets credited for being one of the best and i just don't i think when people say the dark knot trilogy is one of the best they're really just talking about the dark knot and they just don't want to and they feel like if they uh, admit that the other two installments don't live up to it, it somehow hurts the legacy of the Dark Knight. And that's my hot take. 
Um, Jake, do you want to go? Or Yeah, I'll go ahead and go. Um, okay. Well, I, I wish I could say I disagree, but I don't. I think you're I think you've made very good points. Um, I think, just like you said, the Dark Knight is 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 close. It's a masterpiece, and the other two movies are just kind of average. Um, I would even listen to an argument that Dark Knight Rises is a little below average. Um, I still enjoy that movie, but there's definitely a lot of things that I find that are wrong with it. And I'm not going to get into that in detail. I think most people have seen that movie and can probably probably know what I'm talking about when I speak about some of the negative things that, you know, about that movie. And then uh, Batman Begins, like you said, it gets left in the dirt. It's just, it's a movie that I don't ever really want to go and watch. And that doesn't mean I think it's bad. I think it's a good movie. But like you said, that is, you know, kind of lacking in action. The action's poorly filmed. And I, I definitely agree with that because I remember watching it. It's the first time. What? We know what year that movie came out. 2005. 2005. So I thought it was earlier. That's crazy. So I was 11 years old when I first watched that movie, and I just remember just wanting a little bit more. And you know, obviously, 11 year old kid's not gonna have the best movie taste in the world. I'm wanting to see Batman, you know, punch people and fight villains the whole time. But you know, even as I've grown older and my tastes have changed, I still don't really want to go back and revisit that movie. And like I said, I don't think it's bad, but you know, that's in my opinion, that's got to be a knock on the movie because if you don't want to revisit revisit it, then it's, there's obviously something about it that just doesn't completely work. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, the Dark Knight rises, or yeah, the Dark Knight really just carries the whole trilogy. is It's basically like the version of 2007 LeBron carrying the Cavs to the finals. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to knock the movies too bad. That's maybe kind of harsh because. The Dark Knight Rises and the Dark and uh, Batman Begins are better than the supporting cast of the 2007 Cavaliers, but but it is kind of similar where it, the the whole trilogy gets carried big time by one movie. So I wish I could add something new or different than what you just said, but I mean you that's pretty much spot on how I feel about it too. So Matthew, uh, do you have anything different that you would like to say? Yeah, I mean, I hate that this will probably be a really short one compared to what we just did with The Shining, but I mean, I I completely agree too. Um, you know, it's and I and I like Jake said, I don't want to get into just how many ridiculous plot holes there are in The Dark Knight Rises, but there are very very many of them. Please just give it a quick Google if you want to have a fun read. Um, and, and what Cruz was saying, it's tough when you have your middle movie being such a juggernaut because then you know the hot leading into dark knight rises was i mean i was i think i think it's fair to say that before like avengers infinity war that was probably the most hot for a movie i ever was in my life that was oh, the yeah. first that was the first time that i remember as a moviegoer as just a like a general movie fan that was the first time i can remember just thinking about a movie for months before it came out because you used movie to just, came, Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, five you're fine. Go ahead. The movie came out the same year as the Avengers. And I heard more people talking about the dark Knight rises than the Avengers. So yeah, I mean, I agree. It was a huge movie. That's such, that's so hard to believe to, for me. I, as, as, no. as a fan as I am like the Avengers is what 
watching that is what kind of launched me into that fandom. But that's that's crazy to think about. It is um, crazy because I mean, I know so speaking for myself that going into that year, I was looking forward to the Dark Knight Rises much more than I was the Avengers. Like the Avengers was barely on my radar. Oh yeah, same compared was... to what the Dark Knight Rises was. That, that is maybe, very true. Maybe our expectations for that movie kind of kind of hurts how we view it now. Um, Love that movie when it came out because I was twelve. <laughs> I, you know, that's the thing. When I first saw The Dark Knight Rises, I, um, when I first saw it, I thought it was a, I thought it was a masterpiece. I yeah, went I back. I, I wanted to go back and watch it immediately. Like same way with Dark Knight. I mean, Dark Knight. I think I watched four to five times in the theaters. Like I, I wanted. Every day I wanted to go back and watch it. And as soon as I saw Rises, I was kind of the same way. I was like, oh my God, that was that was so good. Like, I mean, you know, Tom Hardy was amazing. Like Bane was great. I mean, you know, Christian Bale is just, you know, doing all kinds of awesome stuff. And I mean, it, it's just amazing. But then I don't know. I, I think the expectation part, I don't I don't know if that is what causes it because over time as I rewatched it, the more I rewatch it, the the less I like it every time. That's true. Now, now That's I will age. say, yeah, I will say that it it is a fantastic looking movie, and oh, yeah. it is it is extremely entertaining to watch. And I mean, if you if you just sit there and watch it, I mean, I know I know I just said that it dips in value every time I've seen it, but I mean, when you just sit there and casually watch it, if it's on TV or something, I mean, it's a it's a really fun movie to watch. Um, but. And I don't want to sound like a snob. I promise I'm not trying to be a snob. But I feel like the reasons that I don't like it because of all the plot holes and just how just how convenient the plot is. I know it's a superhero movie. The plots are always going to be convenient to a degree. But like the sheer stupid like the and I don't I don't want to say this about Christopher Nolan, but it, it just feels Okay, so I don't think it's fair that a movie isn't as good as The Dark Knight. I don't think it was ever going to be. I thought it was when I was a teenager, but whatever. I don't think it's fair to compare. But like you said, the dip in quality is so severe that it's just hard to ignore. And coming off The Dark Knight, to watch a movie that just seems to be written so lazily, it it just doesn't... exact word I was going to use. Yeah, that's the thing, is it doesn't that trilogy doesn't deserve a movie to be written as lazy as it was after you have the dark Knight. I mean, it just, it's inexcusable. It's, it's unfathomable how it happened. Now I know, I don't know if, am I making this up or did, was Christopher Nolan like, did he not want to do a third movie? Was he kind of shoehorned into doing a third movie? Well, well, he, I'm not fully sure on this, but Heath Heath Ledger was going to be involved. Okay. Okay. And I think I think when Heath passed away and then like he had done like Inception and I'm sure that he probably had like Interstellar in mind and I'm sure that he was like he kind of had to do the Dark Knight Rises because he did the Dark Knight and Batman Begins and I'm sure he didn't want to like, uh, you know, like let anyone down, but he kind of was put in a tough spot because like his whole story, he was because a big problem I have with the Dark Knight Rises is that like I feel like it kind of ruins a lot of the themes that the other two movies were building up. But then like in his defense, that was like not the movie he intended because I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw where like he definitely intended to use Heath Ledger again in the movie. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I would think that's got to be true because I mean, obviously, and I feel like I don't have to say spoilers about the Dark Knight because I feel like everybody's seen it. But sure, spoilers, whatever. Um, I mean, the Joker obviously does not die in that movie. Like, I mean, you you're not just gonna not bring back a character like that in in a follow up movie. Um, you know. So. Yeah, and with you know Scarecrow being in every movie and uh, Rachel Ghoul popping up multiple times, especially in the Dark Knight Rises. Um, I, he was all about recycling his, or not recycling, but, you know, using his character. I mean, it was supposed to be like a, a real, you know, epic for the whole three movies. And I do think that really threw a wrench in it. Yeah. And to, to speak my piece on it, um, or my final word on it, I think that what I was, the other thing I was going to say is that, when you watch them all together, if you watched all three together, they don't, they fit thematically, like tonally they fit, but it just seems like you had had Batman Begins, which is solid. You had the Dark Knight, which I mean, maybe I'm misremembering to a degree, but you know, it kind of feels like its own thing. Like obviously the same characters are in the movie as Batman Begins, but it doesn't feel like it was a continuation as much as it was like, Hey, this is, we're going to make the best movie we can. Like it, it didn't feel like it served Batman Begins. Then you have Rises, which I feel like he kind of was like, with, with losing Ledger, you know, he was kind of like, well, I need to, I need to put a bow on this kind of. And I feel like that's where all those plot holes kind of came to a head is where he tried to kind of shoehorn in, you know, tying everything back to Ra's al Ghul and, I don't know. I, that's I think, the biggest I think thing that doesn't work for me in that movie is, you know, the, yeah. the twist there that with Miranda Tate. I think oh, yeah. what you're alluding to. Just the groundwork's not there for it, and it just felt really forced. Like you said, like he was just trying to, you know, conclude oh, it I, in a I, neat I, way, and it, it just doesn't work. I could spend an hour about all the issues I have with this movie in terms of its writing. I mean, like there's so like, like Matt said, like Matthew said, there's so much you can pick apart in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I could, we could have a whole podcast, like you said, just talking about how ridiculous uh, those plot holes are. Um, and, and maybe we will one day. Cause it's just that hilarious uh, to talk about. Um, but I guess I will go ahead uh, and offer mine up to close out our hot take section. Um, and my hot take uh, centers around Star Wars and the future of Star Wars. Um, you know, in their specifically their their films that they are going to choose to make. Um, and my hot take is that whichever direction Star Wars goes with their film series or whether it's a single anthology film. I think it needs to be as distant from the concept of Jedi and Sith lightsabers, the force. I I think, I think if they could make a movie that doesn't reference, that doesn't hard reference any type of plot element from other movies. um, I think that would be their best course of action. I'm not saying you can't have Easter eggs, you know, that reference, you know, Skywalker saga characters, but I think that in terms of making a good movie, or making a movie that will sort of bring, you know, the fandom kind of back together in a sense. Um, I think they definitely need to steer as far away as they can from all the things that people associate with Star Wars. Um, And I think Star Wars is the perfect franchise to do that because 
there's so many different types of stories being told in Star Wars media. Um, you know, whether you like Rebels or Clone Wars, or you're only a fan of the movies, or you're only a fan of um, the anthology movies, um, if that's possible. You know, not that they're not good, but if if you're only a person that likes those, or you're only going to watch The Mandalorian, that's the only thing you like. And, you know, Star Wars as a brand allows you to tell any type of story you want. So I think that if they choose to tell another story that kind of rehashes things that we already are accustomed to, AKA taking sort of a lazy way out, I, I definitely think it'll be, a, it'll be a bad, uh, very bad decision. And I don't use the term watering down a brand very lightly. Um, I don't use that a lot because I think more of anything, if it's good is a good thing. But I do think that if they, if they go that route, I definitely think they're going to, kind of just try to make too much of one thing if, if that can even be possible with Star Wars. So all in all, I just think they need to make uh, more unique stories and get away from the Skywalker saga as quickly as they can. Um, you know, I can, I can agree with that. I think that the Star Wars franchise is in a, in a pretty tricky place right now. And I think it's in a dangerous place, honestly, where, you know, the, the rise of Skywalker was met with, um, very negative critic response, and I would say an overall probably negative audience response too. And like you said, it that one of the problems that they're doing is they're doing too much of the same thing. And I do agree with that to an extent, uh, but also think that it's going to be dangerous ground leaving what we know as Star Wars, and especially leaving behind the idea of the Jedi and the Sith uh, you know that's kind of the foundation of Star Wars and you know whether it's fair or not there's a big section of the fandom that's only going to be interested in that aspect of Star Wars so I don't know if it's something that they can realistically do um, but I do, I do definitely agree that they need to get away from the Skywalkers especially now um, I wish, looking back on it, I wish that this the sequel trilogy would have never included the, the Skywalkers to begin with. I wish it had been just its own story about new characters, but obviously they were too afraid to do that. Um, and I think they're going to have a hard time doing that from here on out. I think that the next movies, or whatever else they make, will be different. But I still think that main concept of the force and the struggle between the good and evil, whether it's the Jedi or not, is going to be something that's very fundamental to every story they tell. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I, I'm fine if they leave the Jedi and the Sith behind. But to me, Star Wars is all about the force. Like when you watch Star Wars, the original trilogy, the force is just um this awesome concept that this is just fascinating. And I don't think that they can afford to leave that concept behind. And I don't think they will like, like the Mandalorian. Um, I'm not going to spoil the Mandalorian, but even though it's a story that doesn't involve Jedi or Sith, it's still heavily about the force. And I feel like that's the foundation of star Wars. So if they can find new concept stories to tell, with that same fundamental aspect to it, I think they would. That would be the right direction to go. 
Um, yeah, that's just that's kind of my take on it. Um, I, like like I said, I think they're in a tricky spot. Uh, if you look at how the movies have done, I think there's a dwindling interest in Star Wars, and I think that's something that Disney is probably very mindful of, and they're going to be very cautious about as they go forward. Um, they're going to, I mean, first off, they're trying to make money with these movies. And, you know, even though I think Rise of Skywalker did end up making a billion dollars, but it did. Yeah. A billion dollars for the not installment of um, the Star Wars trilogy or the series involving the Skywalkers and all the, the, all the original characters, I would say a billion dollars was definitely a disappointment in the minds of those at Disney. So I think they're going to have to be careful about what they do going forward. Uh, so, Cruz, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'm like one of the worst people to ask about Star Wars just because I've never been like a huge, huge fan of Star Wars. I enjoy the movies. I've never had like the big uh, attachment to it. So like take everything I say with a grain of salt. But uh, I do agree with you actually though um, because just in general, because um, I mean – Every Star Wars movie, for the most part, has had to do with either the Skywalkers or the Force. And if this uh, universe has as much lore as I've heard a lot of people talk about, then surely there's like other, you know, really interesting things that they can delve into. And I always think it's it's nice to shake up a a franchise going into new territory. So, just like in general terms, I, I would agree with that because um, I. Uh, one of the things I really liked about The Last Jedi, and this is coming from someone who didn't have a huge connection. I know a lot of people hate that movie. I know a lot of people love that movie. I liked it because I, it kind of felt different and new, even though it's still about the Force and the Skywalkers. It was like a different take. It looked at it on a negative lot, and I thought that was just kind of interesting. Um, I thought it felt like I wasn't watching like kind of the same thing again, uh, which was a big disappointment with The Rise of Skywalker because then it kind of reverted back to the same thing again. Um, and I know, like, you know, that movie had problems. I think a lot of the issues people had with it about the dumb subplots and uh, goofy moments, I think, is present in almost every Star Wars movie. So I don't think that's kind of fair. I think it's more people were just mad about the changes and subversion of expectations. And so they became a lot more critical because I think, like, almost every Star Wars movie has kind of some goofy moments and dumb subplots. But I enjoy those movies. I like them, and I, I agree with you. I think kind of just branching out and going into something different, change is always a good thing to me for the most part. And I, so I agree with you. Well, you know, and, and I think I should re-clarify, and I'll, I will kind of meet in the middle on this. I, I definitely think that my larger point should probably be focused on leaving the Skywalker saga. I definitely think they will, I mean, at least for a time. But I can't agree that if you tell different stories, you know, the Force is kind of like the lifeblood of the universe. And whether you're a Jedi or a Sith or you're on some distant planet, um, you know, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different people and creatures in the Star Wars universe that are aware of the Force and are Force sensitive. So I definitely think I'll kind of meet in the middle there. Um, they can. They could still definitely make movies referencing the force and using that as the main plot device. I definitely just think they need to, you know, it, it doesn't always need to be about, you know, who's better with a lightsaber or who has this last name type of thing. I think they definitely need yeah. to 
move into. Like, like for example, I know it's obviously a prequel to A New Hope, but or like a anthology film. But Rogue One, for example, you know, most of that movie is not the about the traditional, you know, tropes we see in Star Wars. I mean, it's definitely a, a, a quality movie. I, I really enjoy it. Um, and it has, you know, it leans on the main movies a great deal, obviously, because it has to. But, you know, thing, things like that, things of that nature. Um, and Solo, A Star Wars Story is another good example of that. Actually, probably the perfect example of that. Um, I definitely think that movie gets... Um, it gets criticism for really no reason. I think there's a lot of different factors as to why that movie did not perform the, the way that Disney wanted it to. Um, but that that's one of the best that it's one of the best Star Wars movies. It's one of the best Star Wars uh, pieces of media that has been made. And I will I will forever die on that hill. It's, it's an outstanding movie. Um, and I think they, when they show that they're capable of doing that, even if it is a movie about Han Solo, one of the you know core characters of Star Wars, you know, them showing me that they can make movies that people will enjoy, you know, that don't have to do with lightsabers or you know, you know, force choking people. Like I, I think that shows the the promise that they will probably lean on going forward. Um, well. Um, but even with those movies, they've still shown a reluctance reluctance to just completely let go of the things that connect it to the Force and the Jedi. Like with Rogue One, you obviously you still have Darth Vader in there, and Solo, you have Darth Maul at the end. I know he doesn't have you know much of a part in that movie, but they just it's like they don't trust themselves fully uh, to make a movie without those concepts in it and you know and i think that's you know i feel i have some complicated feelings about the last jedi and i'm not going to get into that right now but i think the best thing that that movie does is the theme that the force doesn't belong to the jedi it's it's something that connects everybody in the universe and the jedi and the sith don't have a monopoly on the force so that's still something they could use without connecting it back to the common things like Jedi and the Sith that we know, we all know so well. Yeah. Um, that, so I definitely a... think that they need to, if they're going to change, they need to go all in and just trust themselves, get somebody, get the right people in there to make the movie and trust themselves that they can make a movie that doesn't have to connect back to what we've seen in the past. That's a solid point, and I definitely think I'm going to amend my take to mirror that to a degree. Um, you know, I definitely agree with what you said about them not having the confidence really to make something that doesn't have to consciously connect to something else. You know, Solo was a fine movie, um, and it didn't it didn't need what happened at the end. I, I think it's interesting going forward. I, I definitely am intrigued because the movie was good. But that to me feels like a move you make on a movie that you're not confident about. And mm. I feel like that movie was confidently made. Um, but then to be fair, it obviously did it, not perform yeah. well. And, and like I said, I think we could get into all the factors around that. It came out at Memorial Day, um, which I know a lot of people go to the movies on holidays. But I mean, Memorial Day is sort of different because that's usually a holiday where people go out of town. Um 
it it was three months after the last Jedi, which to Disney's credit, they had no idea was going to be the most polarizing Star Wars film of all time. Um, so I think I feel like whether people hated or loved that movie, they were just kind of like tired of talking about Star Wars at that point. Yeah. And it was too soon after that movie to kind of be like, oh yeah, we're all going to go watch the Star Wars movie again. But yeah, I, I definitely think that if they if they want to keep the force at the center of the, you know, if they want to keep that as a main plot device, I think that's totally fine. But yeah, they, I definitely think they should not shy away from, you know, new stories that do involve that. And they shouldn't feel compelled to just throw in a character that everybody's going to look at, you know, that everybody's going to nudge their friend in the theater. And be like, Oh my gosh, like, do you know who that is? Like that's so-and-so from this other movie. Like they, I know it works in some mediums. Like I think that's part of why I like the MCU so much is I love that kind of like, you know, fan excitement type of thing. But I feel like with where star Wars is right now, they don't need to, they don't need to cling to that anymore. And I, I definitely agree with your sentiment on that. Um, Cruz, you got anything else? Um, no, I pretty much agree with you guys. Uh, uh, like I said, I'm I'm just not a I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. Um, I think uh, I agree that I think they need to start breaking away. I don't know if they're if it's a lack of confidence or just the fact that like they are a business first and they really want to make money and they know that putting characters like Darth Vader and stuff and like that will get people talking and will bring more people to watch the movies. Um, I feel like they just don't know what to do. I think Disney got Star Wars and they were, you know, they were feeling really confident because they have perfected the MCU. I mean, they, that is a huge hit on their hands. So they just thought, well, Star Wars, you know, we can just make a Star Wars movie and everybody's going to watch it. It's the biggest cultural event yeah. in like all of America. So they're like, well, you well, know, and we to their credit and to their, not to interrupt to their credit. I mean, the, a movie marketing a movie as the sequel to um, Return of the Jedi. I mean, they they knocked it out of the park on there, and I don't think that you know it. It was going to be tough for Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker to even compete with the numbers that Force Awakens put up. Because I mean, to their credit, they killed it there as far as and they still made a billion out. dollars. Let's make that clear. I mean, they're, they're yeah. not hurting. But, no, it, it's but we're also like a billion now dollars, we're like I mean Disney's getting to a point where you know billion is a big deal, but I mean they're making some movies where if you don't make the right billion dollars, they're at that point now. You know, yeah. I mean, I, that, a, a billion point. dollars is like the norm for them now. So if you don't, I mean they're getting to a point where a certain like a billion dollars might not be a lot when your movie makes like fifty billion. I know no movie. I don't. Well, no, I think movies have made fifty. <laughs> You know, I don't know how much the highest grossing movie is. Uh, adjusted for inflation is still gone for gone with the wind. Um, yeah, I, I knew think, inflation. Um, but I think I think uh, even with inflation, I feel like it's still only like three to four billion, which is st- I mean still absurd. Well, like I mean that's but um, what was I going to say? To touch on what you were saying, I definitely think that. I don't, it's tough because I mean, Disney, you know, last year was kind of just an unprecedented year for them. Like not to, not to pivot this to a Disney conversation, but you know, that was originally Bob Iger's plan is he, he planned all of these movies kind of for 2019. Cause that was going to be his swan song to like exit out on. 
And now we've seen, obviously, recently he's taken over the reins again. But, you know, that that was kind of why he engineered this year to be as big as it was. He was going to have, you know, Endgame obviously come out. Uh, you know, Captain Marvel was a thing. And then they had, you know, all the multiple live action movies and Rise of Skywalker. It was kind of supposed to be his, like, just kind of, you know, his his swan song, his his way to go out kind of on top as a, you know, probably the best CEO since since Walt Disney himself, I guess. Um, uh, but yeah, it's tough to it's tough to really say. I definitely think it's it's so strange to watch how they handled the movies, like the the main Skywalker movies. It, when you when you look at everything else they do, like Marvel is obviously a well-oiled machine i mean everything they do is just seems so calculated and thought out it just seems like that team at marvel studios maps out every single you know thing to a t and it just feels like that when you're watching it that's why i think i enjoy them so much and then when they make their animated movies you know the production value is insane and the stories are almost always you know compelling and good so it is, it is strange. And, and then the anthology movies for Star Wars and The Mandalorian, I mean, have all been well-received for the most part. So it's just very strange when you watch their mismanaging, in my opinion, of, of those, uh, of 7, 8, and 9. It's just, it's really jarring. And I, I hope that they, I hope that they learn from these mistakes, for sure, because I don't want... I, I'm never going to base my fandom or love for something off of how other people feel, but I definitely don't want to live in a world where, uh, you know, people don't like, like star Wars really. I mean, I, I want people to like star Wars and I know people still do. I'm not trying to paint the, the picture that people don't, but I want, I want pe I want star Wars to be back on that level of, you know, how the MCU is right now, where when something comes out, you know, it's just kind of like an all positive thing. And I, I think they can, but it is definitely, definitely troubling to think about how they, how they handle those movies. I think, yeah, I think they just got uh, too confident. I think because, I mean, the MCU, they, the MCU, they built it from the ground up because like the idea, like now when we look at the MCU, it's like, yeah, who wouldn't have jumped on this idea? But it was a risk when it first came out. I mean, like Iron Man was the first movie and everybody was like, oh, like an Iron Man movie, who cares about him? You know? And then it, like, I mean, and then same thing with, um, well, I mean, that was really the big thing that really kind of got him, you know? I mean, like, Disney's always been a huge force, but I feel like that MCU kind of really got people talking about Disney a lot more again. Um, and then you got Pixar, and, I mean, their animated movies are usually always consistent with people really love their movies, their uh, animated movies. Then they had the whole thing of, let's just take our classic cartoon animated movies and, and do live-action remakes of them. And so they just had like this whole, you know, thing going and then they got Star Wars and they were like, Star Wars is so big. We can just, you know, do whatever with Star Wars. I mean, we, you know, we can, them out there and it'll, we can crank them out there and everybody's going everybody's gonna to go see them. Yeah. And then, and then they realized that not everyone is like that. They, they got, they, they got a pass too. I think, I think they got a pass with, uh, what was that? What was episode seven? The Force Awakens? Force, Force Awakens, yeah. They got a pass because they kind of did kind of a soft remake of uh, New Hope, but that was okay because 
you know, the prequel trilogy left a sour taste in everyone's mouth. So they were willing to be like, you know what, we just want a competent Star Wars movie again, to be completely honest. And yeah. I think that, that kind of gave them some leeway. And so then with Ron Johnson, I'm pretty sure they were just like, you know, as long as you stay within this kind of thing, do whatever you want. And then people had a big issue with it and they didn't know what to do. And so they got J.J. Abrams back to try to retcon and make like the biggest fan service movie with Rise of Skywalker. But then people also didn't just want blatant, uh, you know, fan service. And so then now, yeah, they're in a weird place. And then those, though, they kind of banked on the uh, off movies. And then with Solo not doing super well, I think it just kind of they got really confident that like. Star Wars was going to be a series that just kind of, you know, sort of like and just print, print money. I mean, yeah, it's like they had to build the other franchises they have. They kind of just felt like you know it already being the biggest thing ever in our culture that it just kind of was going to do its own thing and it was going to be successful by itself. And then it realized like, no, we actually do have to like manage it a lot more than we realized. Yeah. That's very true. Um, to book in this, uh, we did kind of go on a tangent, and we, we got to talk about social network. Um, but to me and Jacob dis- discussed this before. Each movie, each episode was a reaction to the previous one. Uh, Force Awakens, you know, they wanted to, like you said, like you said it perfectly, they wanted to play it close to the vest. Like, listen, we're taking over Star Wars. We don't want people to think that we don't know what we're doing here. Uh, let's just make a safe movie. We just need to hit a single. We yeah. want to hit a home run. And, I, and I'll, say this. I'll say this. I defend Force Awakens. You know, people will say, oh, it's just a carbon copy. Like, I, it is, I mean, obviously, the plots are very similar. I will defend it by saying that the characters in the movie, their emotional motivations and their character motivations as a, at their core are much different. And they're, that that's where the that's kind of where the difference is for me, but that being, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Let me clarify. I really like the force awakens. I'm not hating being a retread or anything. I really like, and I think it really succeeds in its characters. It's a great movie. I I really think it's a fun, fun movie, but you, I think they also, you know, it's, it's tough because I think that they kind of listen to the wrong people, not saying that every critique of that movie was, Un, unjust but i think you know there was like a subsection i feel like they listened to the most negative feedback on every movie and just wholesale reacted based on that the most negative reaction out of seven out of force awakens was hey you know you've already made this movie this is a remake of new hope this is unoriginal so they give the keys to ryan johnson and they say hey like we need to make something different now they probably didn't want it to be, you know, that they didn't want it to be polarizing, but they definitely wanted something different. And Ryan Johnson delivered. And I will, you know, I really love The Last Jedi. I hated it when I saw it, but now I love it. But then, you know, they listen again to the most negative feedback. Hey, this is not Star Wars. This is not what we want. Even though we said about Force Awakens, we didn't want to retread. Uh, we don't want this, whatever this is. So then they made, like you said, the ultimate fan service movie being Rise of Skywalker, which I do think still has redeeming qualities, but at the end of the day, uh, it does make for a disjointed trilogy. Uh, 
I trust Disney to get it right. They make they're way too successful. They make way too much money and everything else they do to not write the ship. I think, um, but I think we'll just leave it there. We could have a whole Disney podcast though. If you want. oh yeah, well, I was I, gonna say though. I think you brought up a great point about uh, the new trilogy being a each movie was a reaction to each other, and I think that's a problem because like I mean the the MCU listen with MCU they listen to criticisms, but like the MCU like the 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 skeleton of that story of all those movies they're built in together and they didn't do that with the star wars trilogy it's they made a movie and then they said we're going to make a sequel that's a complete reaction to all the criticisms of the other one and with mcu it's like no i mean they had phase three planned out before they even announced phase two and i think that's like a big difference you see uh, of why it's so much more competent in mcu than star wars yeah and one note, just because I love talking about the MCU, the thing about it is when they when the MCU did fall short in some areas, like when they made an underwhelming movie, like you said, they listened, but they didn't they didn't make a new movie that totally you know copped out the things that people the criticisms that people had. They made it fit thematically. Every movie seems like it all fits, even if one is not as good as another one. I think the only the only exception to that is Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok is so so vastly different from the first two movies, and it purposely does not have anything to do with the first two movies. And I think that was the best possible decision. That was that's an exception, but you know, the necessary like, exception, too. Yeah. A very necessary exception, like you said. But like the 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 larger point was, Foggy knows what he's doing. He knows how to engineer something that where it's just this living breathing thing that it, it all every part feels like it all fits uh, even if one part is not as good as another um but if we if you let me talk about the mcu we'll be here uh for four or five hours um so uh we have got a movie to discuss uh, a movie that i had never seen um uh, it's our review movie of the week um and it is the social network now, you both obviously had seen it. I was excited to visit this movie and give it a chance. Um, and I got to say, uh, just leading off uh, the discussion here, I, I really loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, uh, I wrote a lot of things about it uh, immediately after I watched it. Um, but I do think that uh, since you guys have seen it first, I just kind of want to get your your guys's. Uh, connection with this movie uh what does it mean to you how many times have you seen it you know just generally uh how do you feel about the movie and um what do you like about it um well i guess i guess i'll lead off here um i very much enjoy the movie too um i probably this is probably my third viewing i watched it just a few hours ago actually i watched it with my my father Probably two weeks ago, I just really wanted to introduce him to it, and then I decided to watch it again tonight in preparation for this podcast. And it's a very, very rewatchable movie. Um, you know, I, I'm watching it twice in the span of two or three weeks. I thought, you know, this third time it might be kind of hard to push through, but I didn't find that to be the case at all. Um, there's new things that you can pick up on each time, and one of the things that really stands out to me about the movie is how good. Aaron Sorkin's script is and the dialogue. Um, it's just excellent throughout the movie. Um, it's well acted. Jesse Eisenberg is 
great. Uh, Andrew Garfield's pretty good. He has a good supporting performance. Um, so, you know, all the way through is just a very, very entertaining movie. I don't want to really get into the political aspects of what we think of Mark Zuckerberg, but uh, I think the movie does do a pretty good job kind of portraying him as this complicated person who's honestly not very likable. And like I said, I'm not getting into the political aspects of some of the things he's done recently. I'm just trying to look at the movie as a whole. Um, But I thought the movie was, it's very well made. You can definitely see David Fincher's direction in there, especially there's a few certain scenes to me that have a similar tone to uh, some of his other movies like Fight Club and Gone Girl that just kind of really stood out to me with the, the score and the lighting. It just really reminded me of some of his other movies. Uh, but really, that's about all I had to say about it. I, I don't have a whole lot of opinions on it. I just I think it's a very well-made movie, a very entertaining movie, and also very rewatchable, which is, to me the ultimate compliment you can give a movie. I mean, if a movie is good enough that you want to go back and rewatch it multiple times, then something's been done right. So, uh, Cruz, I'll let you go ahead and say what you well, want to say about it. Not not to cut in, but I did write a specific note just on you mentioning the score. I did not expect the score to be as good as it was. Um, every scene, Every scene felt like it was just kind of being pushed along and just guided with all those up-tempo beats and bass lines it had. And it made, obviously, the main draw of the movie is all the, you know, conversations and dialogue in the movie. And it just made, it made simple conversations almost feel like action scenes uh, to a degree. Um, like, I, I don't know. That, that, that was one, one specific thing I wrote down as soon as I, as soon as I watched it. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Cruz, go ahead. Nine Inch Nails walked so Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross could run. <laughs> Their scores are consistently fantastic. Um, yeah, this is like the fifth time I've watched this movie. Uh, David Fincher, he's like one of my favorite filmmakers, definitely like in my top ten. He was another person I meant, I meant to mention in the last episode when we were talking about Tarantino because I think David Fincher is one of the most underrated. All of his movies are super popular, but like no one ever seems to mention him when people talk about great modern filmmakers. Um, but he's like so consistent and he's so great and he's made so many like iconic movies of of our generation: Fight Club, Seven, yeah, Gone Girl. Um, a lot of people consider this his masterpiece. Uh, probably from a filmmaking aspect, I can probably agree with that. I think this is probably his most well-made movie. Um, it's not my personal favorite, but I still love this movie, and it should have won Best Picture. Um, everything about this movie, I hate to sound like a broken record, but everything I said about No Country for Old Men, I, I also applies to this in terms of like every aspect of this film is like incredible. The lighting and everything sticks out, but not in a hey, look at how good we're doing this, but just like because it's that good. The cinematography is like fantastic, the sound editing. The lighting, the you know sound. I already said sound design. The editing, the performances, the writing, like everything is top notch to the point where you notice it, but not because it's asking you to notice it. Uh, it's it's so good, and and all the performances are incredible. Um, and I mean, this is this is probably my favorite performance from Eisenberg. Um, he's he's it's fantastic in this because. 
I hate him so much in this movie, and that's great because you're supposed to. Um, and there's a lot of people in this movie. Now they're like a lot more well known. Back then, this was kind of a start for them. Like, not this was before Andrew Garfield was Spider Man and Rooney Mara was big. And, and back then, I think Justin Timberlake was still just a pop star. Um, and these, they're all fantastic in this movie. I think all the Peter performances Jones is in the movie. I didn't yeah. Know yeah, I forget that she's she's great in it with a few scenes. Uh, what's his name? Army Hammer is fantastic. Army Hammer. Also, um, I mean, it, you don't really think about CGI when you're watching this movie, but I mean, hats off to them because I mean, Army Hammer does not have a twin brother. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. I mean, that's just him in the movie. Like, I'm like 99 percent sure. I saw mean, actually something really interesting. Because, and this also goes to how, but a big thing about Fincher too is Fincher uses so much CGI and no one ever notices. Um, he uses like a ton of CGI in like a lot of his work, but he does it so seamlessly. But I always thought that like they would film, uh, they would film Army Hammer and then like almost like superimpose him beside himself in the scene or something like that. But apparently. I was uh, I was reading the other day. Apparently, the other guy is like a completely other person, and they like did a an early version oh, of a yeah. deep fake. I gotcha. That's like a deep fake before deep fakes were like super popular. So like when you see those two people, that's Army Hammer, and that's like another person with like a deep fake of Army Hammer on him, which is crazy because like that was that's pretty groundbreaking for the time. I don't think people were doing deep fakes like that. That's true. I mean, that's um, really well done. I mean, it is, yeah. Because I went, I mean, it, this movie's was 10 years old, which is crazy. But, like, I've gone 10 years not knowing that, like, never thinking that once. Oh, yeah. And that says all it needs to. I mean, if you don't notice, like, I, I think I had just seen that, like, in a maybe a tweet or, like, an article or something. That's the only reason I knew. But, but if I did not know that, I wouldn't, I probably would have just guessed, like, oh, I guess Army Hammer has a, you know, he has a brother. I guess he's got a twin brother, but uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. It, it was so well done. Yeah, the script is fantastic. Um, this movie is just this is this is also like the the post Zodiac, like the new era of Fincher when like his style changed kind of because like his older movies looked really gritty and grimy, and these movies look a lot cleaner. And this is when he started doing like the Kubrick thing where. They do like 500 takes for every scene, which is crazy. This is when he became like a real perfectionist at this point. And this is just like, this is such an incredible movie. Like this is just uh, almost perfect. I, I can't really think of any flaws. And like the score is also so good. Like you were saying, like I have the score on my phone. Like the music is so good in this movie. Um, shout out to everyone who worked on the movie because everyone does such a great job. And David Fincher just it's so nice to watch a movie where like every shot is meaningful and like everything is done so well and there's like nothing you can just look at automatically and say that's bad um Aaron Sorkin this is a really great screenplay from him I agree with Jake about how they did uh Mark Zuckerberg in this movie I think this is like one of the best ways to do a character study on a complicated character because they never ask you to sympathize for him. So you can go the whole movie thinking he's an irredeemable, like horrible person, 
but they add just enough in there where if you wanted to sympathize with them or try to have a better understanding of them, you can. That's, yeah, like it, that's such if a good you, point. It never asks you to feel bad for him, but it leaves just enough in there where if you wanted to be like, you know, well, he just wanted to be, you know, noticed. He had low self-esteem. He wanted to be, you know, considered this this great icon, and that kind of drove him in the wrong way. But at the same time, you don't have to because he's so insufferable to, like, be around when watching him. He's such an annoying character and so condescending that you can also just straight up write him off as just a, a, a jerk. Um yeah, not to get into the politics of, of Zuckerberg now. That's also kind of not fair because, like, you know, this movie was 10 years before Zuckerberg. All this controversy has really happened with him. But for that, like, in a vacuum, that moment, it is a very interesting character study. Um, that's that's pretty much all I've got to say other than just, you know, bouncing off of whatever you uh, Matthew has to say. But just real quick, did anybody notice the Aaron Sorkin cameo? I did not. I did not. Uh, he is the uh, ad executive when they're having the interview, and Zuckerberg is going, and he's like, "Is that a test?" Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's Sorkin, that's the writer. I I didn't notice that until this time watching it. To be fair, I, I would not up. know what Aaron Sorkin looks like, but yeah, is, I was like, I was like, that's Aaron Sorkin, and then I looked it up, and yeah, yeah. Um, basically, uh, with me, would that be my first viewing? I, I kind of just have like a lot of bullet points of things I enjoyed. And I'm just going to kind of run through those. And if you guys have something to throw in, you definitely go for it. Um, speaking about the character study, that was one thing I noted is that obviously I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with, you know, the mannerisms and how um, Zuckerberg speaks. Now, obviously, we don't we did not know him personally, obviously, in college. But I think Eisenberg's decision, whether it was his on his own or really, you know, with the direction or production crew, but I, I think his conscious decision to not go for a spot on impression and kind of just encapsulate, like it, it feels to me like he listened to and absorbed all of the stories and like background information he could get from like people that knew Zuckerberg and just kind of created his own persona that also while while not being how Zuckerberg speaks, it it perfectly captures what we what the audience might think, or it, it perfectly gets the message across of who this person is or who this person was. Um, so I think that was a really good decision uh, that Eisenberg or who, whoever whoever informed that decision. I think it was really great. Um, I think it is his best performance, definitely that I've seen. Um, I think it, the MVP of the movie is kind of a tie between him and Andrew Garfield. I was super impressed with Andrew Garfield in this movie. Um, I think both performances are slam dunk performances. Uh, and whenever I think of this movie, I'm probably going to think of, you know, both of them, their, their dynamic in the movie. Um, I've already mentioned the score. Uh, one of the biggest strengths that I thought it had was how the scenes are laid out. And I feel like what Jake said about the rewatchability, I, I definitely anticipate the rewatchability being very high for me because uh, the scenes in the movie that are the best are obviously, you know, people just talking, people on screen, just speaking to one another. And I think with how they're laid out, they're kind of long, but not in a way that you feel bothered by it. They're long drawn out conversations and, and the, the pacing of each is so good that I feel like you could kind of turn this movie on at any point 
and you would per you would instantly just kind of get sucked into what the characters are talking about because all the dialogue is so punchy and just the just the timing of everything is so great and the characters are just just killing it and just selling what what they're talking about at every single turn and i feel like that's that's kind of why i enjoyed it so much and one other note on that i think this is my biggest takeaway of the movie and what i think it's my favorite part of the movie what i kept coming back to over and over again throughout the entire movie was how every single character whether you liked that character at the time or not they always said exactly what you wanted them to say every time a character was like wronged or you felt that that character hey you know wow that was a terrible thing that happened to them they should say this like they said it at least for me in my experience uh you know oftentimes in tv shows or movies like you have to wait like seasons or you have to wait for an entire movie for a character to kind of finally stick it to like the bad guy or stick it to somebody that's been a jerk the whole movie. But in this movie, every time an action happens, there's immediate repercussion and resolution. It makes, you know, it just makes for a really entertaining movie because when something bad happens to Andrew Garfield, in this movie, he doesn't waste time, you know, selling, you know, he doesn't waste time whining about it or loathing about it. Just, he said he, he'll pop off immediately, you know, just like the scene towards the end, which I would think, you know, spoilers are pretty safe. You know, the scene at the end where he gets written out, basically written out of the company. Um, when he goes in there and slams the laptop and just yells at Justin Timberlake and, uh, you know, Zuckerberg, uh, it's just perfect. It's, it's exactly what you want to see in that moment from those characters. And I think, every character does that pretty much the entire movie. Um, and I, I think it's just perfect. It's such a, it's such an interesting way to tell a story uh, where you go in and out of, you hate this character at one moment, then you kind of feel for him. But even, even an unlikable character like Zuckerberg, he's still sticking it to people in these scenes and it's still entertaining because of, because of how each scene is laid out and how each character is written. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough of that. I, I definitely think that that that's my favorite part. And yeah, it's just a, it's just a solid movie. Super, super solid. That's it's so great. And I'm glad, I'm so glad that you gave, uh, the rightful praise that, uh, Andrew Garfield deserves. Cause he never gets talked about when this movie's brought up. And I totally agree that he is one of the standout performances in this movie that that scene alone when he snaps and he like slams the laptop down and he's telling them to lawyer up that scene that's probably my favorite scene in the movie to be it's, it's honest with you it's, it's my favorite scene, scene. Movie, he kills it in that scene and they're all great i think justin timberlake deserves credit too because like justin timberlake is like the one character like actor you'd be like why is he even in this movie and he's great in this like i sometimes forget it's even uh justin timberlake like he does he, yeah so good in this he, movie. He deserves to be there. He he hundred percent deserves yeah. to be there. So good in this movie. Um, to me, like when I rate a movie, it it's based off the emotional response. Um, it's not always just like oh how like super well made it is. I mean, if you're a well made movie, I'm gonna like you a lot more. I have a higher chance of it. But I feel like a movie's got to really hit you emotionally. And a, a sign to me that like you've got a great movie is if you walk away and there's like 
a ton of scenes that you just keep thinking about and, and that you are so memorable. And, and you can have one of the prettiest looking movies, but if the only thing you remember is that it's pretty and there's like nothing that you really, that really sticks with you, no scenes or anything like that. For example, for me, Tree of Life, beautiful movie. I can't tell you a scene in that movie. I've completely forgotten it. Um, but Social Network, there's like 15 scenes that just stick in my head the minute someone brings it up. The the opening scene when they're at the bar and the way they're like conversation structured, how they keep jumping topics and like ignoring each other. And then they'll like respond to like something they said earlier. The scene that we were talking about with Andrew Garfield slamming the laptop or the you know, the party with Sean Parker when he gets caught. There's just so many scenes to talk. I, I could, I, I would honestly, if we, if I started talking about all the scenes that are, that are so memorable, I'd probably just talk about the whole movie and I would just, we'd essentially just be reciting the whole movie. I love the ending too. I love how the ending uh, pans out when he's doing the friend request and he is refreshing it. And uh, Rashida Jones talks about, you know, him wanting to be the bad guy more so than just being a bad guy. And then there's yeah, this. That was keep, perfect. Yeah. And I hate to keep just bringing up scenes and, and yabbering on, but also the scene where he, um, he's talking to the Winklevoss lawyer and he's like, did I answer your condescending question adequately? Like that scene's great. There's so many great scenes in this movie. I mean, like I, uh, I can't there. Like I said, I could literally, you could pick out any scene and I would say it's, it's such an amazing scene. This is such a great movie. Well, and that to, to your credit, I mean, that's into the movie's credit. Um, that scene, all the scenes where they're speaking with the lawyers, you know, even though you don't have any incentive to like Zuckerberg in this movie, when he's, when he's sticking at those lawyers, I mean, you're kind of like, I was kind of just like, smiling like just uncontrollably because i was like this is just this is great because even though i don't like that i'm not motivated to see this character succeed like i i still enjoy these like little wins he's getting and i think that that's just a really it's a really good it's a really big flex by a movie if you can if you can have a character that universally is supposed to be disliked but they're just doing things on screen that you can't help but like i mean that that's just a really big flex um, you, you touched on, you know, a movie being well-made and regardless if it's well-made, you know, it's going to be a baseline level of good. And I completely agree. There's movie, there's countless movies that I've seen that are well-made and they are valid and they don't, you know, they don't disrespect cinema, you know, to put it that way, you know, they're, they're just well-made solid movies, but they don't, they don't stick with you and you don't, you wouldn't give them a five out of five rating. Or, or you wouldn't say that like, this is a, this is one of the all time greatest movies, even though it's well made and competent and there's nothing really wrong with it. I think there's still like a there's a gap there between a movie that is perfectly well made with no major mistakes and then a movie that's perfectly well made with no major mistakes, but it's transcendent of just being that. And I think this is one of those movies that is um, it, it's 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 up there i mean i I definitely didn't expect to i kind of went into it i'm not even gonna lie i kind of went into it just thinking okay it'll be solid like i'll i'll enjoy it but i mean i really do it's it's now the longer i've been away from the screen watching it and just the more i think about it it's uh the more i like it i mean it's just super super good um and i think there was one final point 
um, I was going to have, or just one talking point. Um, no, actually, I think, oh, well, yeah, there was one thing, and I, but we've kind of touched on it. It was basically that the, I think that the movie doesn't necessarily assign you a central character to revolve around is a good, is one of the biggest strengths of the film, kind of like the ensemble feel of the movie where obviously Garfield, Garfield's character, um, uh, Zuckerberg, you know, they are the central characters, but the story's also not just about them. You know, it's kind of about everybody involved. And I think that that's a really big strength of the movie because as you're watching it, it, it allows you to go in and out of liking certain characters, disliking others. Um, even, even the, you know, army hammers character, like I, at the first you're like, okay, yeah, I want Zuckerberg to stick it to these guys. But then as the movie goes on, you're, you're like the scene with the, the president, like the Harvard president, like you start getting pissed on behalf of, you know, the twins, because you're like, you know, this guy's really just not treating them fairly. Like here, you know, they, they have a gripe, they have a legitimate gripe with Zuckerberg right now. And he's not giving them the time of day, you know, and I didn't think in the beginning of the movie that I would ever, you know, have sympathy for them. But that's just an example, I think, of why I like the movie so much is because it it forces you to think about characters and plot elements in multiple different ways uh, over the course of the movie. And I think uh, I, that's just a really it's a really cool thing. It's a really great movie. Uh, yeah. Um, when you were saying that, that it doesn't feel like there's like a central character, I think that also builds into why it works so much as a character study and why it never feels like it's asking you to feel bad for Zuckerberg. But like you can, you can definitely look at him as a much more complex character if you want to. And I think it's cause it never lets it stay in his perspective long enough. Um, yeah. It does it just enough where you can kind of understand there's complexity to his character, but not enough to where you feel like you're being asked to sympathize with him. And um, there was one thing I wanted to bring up too. Oh, the fact that another reason why this movie is so impressive is that it shouldn't work. Um, this is this was like this debuted at number one in the box office on its opening weekend. Um, it was a, a huge hit and it really shouldn't have been um, for, you know, like to be such a huge hit among massive audiences. Uh, there's no there's no action sequences and not to say there has to be, but the fact that there's no action sequences, the whole movie is essentially just really wealthy kids suing each other and then talking about it and being really like condescending and witty towards each other. And um, the fact that, that your main protagonist is in, in, is really annoying and just unlockable. And the fact that, also, when you think about it, the movie is about Facebook, which is just kind of like the automatic, like, general audience is going to go, I don't want to watch the Facebook movie. And somehow, all of these elements, which shouldn't work, it turns out to be what's considered, like, one of the greatest movies of our of the decade, of the last decade. And it's been this huge hit, and it's it's remained, it's, it's kept this huge following. I still see people talk about this movie. Uh, and I think that's just a testament to how well-made it is, because it's a movie that... I feel like if I feel like if any other writer and director would have done this, it wouldn't be nearly as good. That's a solid point. And the one thing I was thinking about uh, that you said, um, you know, it would be so easy for this movie to have been 
extremely cringe and corny because the the way that the characters are acting, you know, these, you know, quote unquote nerds just being super witty to each other and having these quick, catchy, just punchy like lines back and forth. It would be super easy for the writing and the dialogue to come across as super corny. I think there's only like one one time in the movie where I, I heard a line and I was like, or I heard a, a line or exchange between characters. And I was like, that was kind of, that was kind of lame. Uh, just, just for context, it, it's the scene where the twins are talking about like the best course of act. It's when they first discovered that Mark has, you know, stolen their idea basically. Um, and they're talking about, uh, you know, what to do. And the guy says, well, I'm six, five, I'm 6'5", 230 pounds, you know, and I, I row for a living or something like that, where he's basically talking about how he can just go beat him up or something. Uh, you know, that that whole thing, I, I think that was like the only line in the movie where I kind of rolled my eyes at. Uh, but other than that, I mean, like I said, it, it would just be so easy to fall into being a corny, uh, generic type movie, and it just doesn't. And that that's a just a huge testament. Um you know, to everyone involved. It's just, it's, yeah. I can't the movie's also so funny. It. Oh, yeah. It's, the movie's it's, so, I like, was it, laughing the entire time. It was, when they're, like, when they're in, when they're going to meet with the head of Harvard, like, the, when they're going to talk about how they want to, the, how there's been a violation of the handbook and they want to sue or, or have, like, an, uh, a type of, like, academic punishment for Zuckerberg. And yeah. they're saying, like, be careful in this building because it's 366 years old. It's, it's older than this country. And one of the Winklevoss twins just goes, we're just sitting in a chair. And it's like, it's just so <laughs> like quick, but it's so funny the way he delivers it. Army hammer also gives a great performance. Uh, get enough credit for it. Um, and I, I will say I thought was funny. Just like, Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. You can go ahead. Sorry. My bad. Go ahead. Um, well, just to say that uh, originally I said that I feel like this wouldn't work without the writer and the director, and I do think that's a big thing, but I also think that a lot of credit has to be given to the director because Aaron Sorkin did a similar movie to this, Steve Jobs, and although that movie's really good, it doesn't work as well, and I think that's because David Fincher elevates this material more than like Danny Boyle is able to, even though I really do like Danny Boyle as a director, but as you were saying. Oh, Yeah. All I was going to say is that the, the part where throughout the whole movie, you're watching Mark in these lawyer meetings, like right on this notepad and it never shows you what he's writing. But then about three quarters through the movie, he, he flips the page to write on another page and you just see like, it's only for like a split second, but it showed that it directly pans on the notes and it shows that he's just been doodling and like drawing things the entire time. Like he's not writing down actual notes. Like, that was one thing that I happened to notice that was really funny to me. Um, the movie's so funny. It's it's the movie is hilarious, but it's never like over the top and goofy. It's just it's such a well made movie. Yeah, it it really is. Um, but Jake, if you don't have anything else, uh, I feel like I'm ready to pop this uh, pop a rating on this thing. I think I, I think I'm prepared. Go for it. Um, like I said, I didn't expect it going into it, but I think I'm going to give it a straight up five out of five. Um, it's, it's just super good. Um, I, I, you know, I'd go watch it again right now if I didn't have to go to bed in the near future, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just really, really good. Everything about it. I was invested the whole way. The writing is fantastic. Dialogue is fantastic. Performance is fantastic. 
Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Five out of five. This movie doesn't get a five out of five for me. Um, I give it a four and a half, and it, I don't really have any negatives about it. But like you guys were talking about, I just don't really have an emotional response when I watch this movie. Um, and I guess that's just my personal taste. I very much enjoy it. I think it's very well made. Like I said, I don't really have it. I don't have a complaint about it. Uh, it's very rewatchable, but it's just not a movie that I think about after I watch it. My only thought was after finishing it tonight, I was, wow, that was, that was really good. And that's really about all I can say about it. Uh, I don't think it, I really, I know Cruz, you said a minute ago that it deserved best, best picture for 2010, but I, I personally still think that the King's speech deserved it. I had an emotional response to that movie more so than I did this movie. And I'm not going to get into the King's speech or anything, but um, yeah, it gets a four and a half for me. Great movie. Definitely recommend it. Definitely watch it. We'll watch it again in the future, but it's just not a movie that, that I emo- emotionally resonates for me enough for me to give it a perfect score. Fair enough. I think, uh, I think I, I didn't touch on this, but I, I do think that that's a good point because, you know, for me, I actually tweeted this the other day, like regardless of how good a movie is, if anything in that movie could like potentially bring me to tears or does bring me to tears as just a quick example. I mean, there's other emotions to have during a movie, but this was the example I chose. Um, you know, if a movie can push you to that point, I think it, it inherently already has value and has served a purpose. Um, now I wasn't, I wasn't on the brink of tears at any point in this movie, but I will say that, the, the emotional connection I had was definitely during that, the Garfield, the laptop scene where I just, so you just feel, you just feel so defeated for him because the whole movie, he just kind of like, he's played things by the book and he's done everything right in his eyes. And just to see him, the look on his face, like when he realizes what's happening. Um, yeah. I, I really felt for him there. Didn't want to cry about it, but I mean, it was, it was definitely really impactful. And yeah. uh, I just, I, I forgot to throw that in earlier. And uh, you just reminded me to say that. Crazy. I mean, that seems an example of why that movie's so great, especially that scene too, because that's like one of those scenes where like all the elements work perfectly. Like when he fake, like fake out punches, um, Nate, what is it? Sean Parker. Parker. And like the, the score has the like the the kind of that low drumming sound while he says like oh you make me feel so strong and tough when I'm standing next to you and just like all those elements the writing and the acting and the and the way the camera's position and that score all working at once it's just so good like so all the elements in that movie come together very true um. As for a score, uh, I, I understand. I actually agree with you, Jake. It's funny that you said, though, about the King speech, because that was going to be my example of a movie that I don't have a lot of issues with. It's just I have no emotional connection to. It couldn't get emotional connection. Because um, I think uh, emotional connection is a big thing in a, when it comes to writing your movie. Uh, like what for- I look for in a movie. I mean, I'm more of a – I'm looking to attach myself to the characters. Can I – can I emphasize for the characters, do the characters do the job for the movie? And I'm less so about the technical aspects of a movie. Um, I feel like, you know, I definitely don't notice things 
like that as well as you do, but I'm all about characters when I watch a movie. And like I said, this King's speech is just, it, it emotionally resonates with me more than this movie does, even though it probably isn't as well made. Uh, it definitely isn't as well made as social network, but it just works better for me. Yeah, I mean, well, and for me, for me, it depends when it comes on technical aspect versus emotion. I feel like if your movie's not trying to have an emotion, it goes on technical aspect. You can get a five out of five for me, like The Shining. That's like a big thing for me. Um, but sometimes it just depends. But a, a better example I'll use is Birdman. Um, that movie is so well made. I mean, that movie, if we're talking about how well made that Birdman is, I would probably give it a five out of five. But I have absolutely no emotional connection to that movie whatsoever. And I feel like you're supposed to have an emotional connection to those characters. And I and I give that movie a three out of five because that's how much of a lack of like an emotional connection I have to anything in that movie. And yet it's so well made. Or the the Tree of Life. I think the Tree of Life is probably like one of the most beautiful looking movies. And I give it a three out of five because I just have absolutely no emotional connection. And I feel like you're supposed to have a connection to that movie. That movie's supposed oh, to stick sure. with you. And I have it does not. It never goes through my mind, usually, unless it's for an example like this. As for this movie though, I understand that. Because there have been some Fincher movies where he's, you know, top-notch directing, but I didn't feel the emotional pull to give it the 5 out of 5, like with the Zodiac, another movie of his, which is still great. But this movie... My personal favorite of his. What's your personal favorite? Zodiac. Oh, well, Zodiac is great. That's one of his... That's easily one of his most well-made movies. Um, it's just, for some reason, that one doesn't have the emotional grip on me for some reason. Uh, in this movie, I feel like it shouldn't because I feel like I feel like you're right because like there's not a lot of characters you want to really like latch on to and love, but you you latch for me I latch onto these characters because they're just so interesting, and this I, I rave too much about this movie when it's brought up for me to not give it a five out of five. Uh, I, I anytime this movie's mentioned. I fanboy out on it and I don't even mean to, it just is just an instinct. And I, to me, like if you can pull that out of me, then I got to give you a five out of five, to be honest. Hi, man. Listen, I mean, a four, a, an average of 4.8, uh, you know, definitely nothing to sneeze at between the three of us. So, um, yeah, I, that's, that's pretty much it for me. Um, I agree obviously with everything that you've said and, I think it was a solid movie for us to review, and I was really glad uh, that I liked it as much as I did after I watched it. But yeah. with that, I do think uh, the time for us to discuss Social Network has come to a close. I uh, definitely enjoyed it. Uh, but uh, are we ready to tell the people what we're watching next week? I think we're going to start, you know, definitely make that a theme where we plug the next movie uh, just to give everybody a chance to either watch it or, you know, just have something to look forward to. Um, did did we decide beforehand? Yeah, I think we're I think we're ready to make a decision. I'll let you do the honors, Matthew. Okay. Um, next week we will be watching and reviewing Snowpiercer by our our boy Bong Joon Ho, the new man on the scene. Well, not I shouldn't say new man on the scene, but everybody is aware of, of him now. Obviously with Parasite, which we almost did Parasite. I think we, we kind of considered it. Um, 
probably have been, you know, one day I'm sure we will because obviously a great movie. But Snowpiercer, a little background, um, was it's an English made it's an English film uh, made by directed obviously by Bong Joon Ho, and it was kind of meant to be his coming out party as far as relevance and everyone knowing who he is as a filmmaker. Um, it's a little old. It's not as old as um. Well, actually, it's more 2013, recent. I believe. Yeah, it's it's the most recent movie between the two we've already reviewed. So, um, I only know vaguely what the plot is about. So, I'm super excited to see just how how well it is or how good it is. If I do enjoy it, um, I believe Chris Evans is in the movie. So, kind of a crossing of both worlds. My my MCU fandom and my newfound love for Bong Joon Ho uh, movies uh, will kind of be meeting there. And this will um, definitely be a unique experience for us because none of us have seen this movie yet. So we'll all yeah. be watching it for the first time. So we'll, hopefully we'll be able to give our fresh opinions on it. And, you know, there's nothing like watching a movie for the first time. I mean, but I yeah. love going back and watching a movie that I've already experienced, but there's nothing like the first time. So, yeah, um, I can't agree more. I, I and I And not to get off on one last tangent, but that's the thing is I've never been huge about rewatching movies. Like if I rewatch a movie, I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, so, but the first, the fact that we are all watching this for the first time is going to, I think going to provide for some really great discussion, um, you know? And uh, so, yeah, if you guys get a chance, definitely check it out in preparation for the pod. Um. And I think that about wraps up shop here today. Uh, Cruz, do you have anything else to add about Snowpiercer? Anything uh, in general? Just excited to watch it because uh, Bong Joon-ho finally is starting to get more popular. He's been making movies since like 2000, and I've yet to see it, and I really want to see it. So, Well, that we will, and we will see you next time talking about Snowpiercer and also doing our hot take section. Again, we'll have some fresh ones up there for you. Uh, as always. Uh, But guys, if you've listened uh, to the end here, we do appreciate it as always. Thank you so much for giving us a a chance and giving us a listen. Um, If you did enjoy this, um, you know, definitely go back and check out our first two episodes. If you have not already Uh, follow us on Twitter at, at shift talking, Uh, find us on Facebook. Um, Our page is just called shift talk. You'll see the big purple, uh, the big purple logo there with the white S just like you see on the podcast. Um, Always give us movie recommendations. Drop us a follow. Give us feedback, whatever you feel is necessary. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're not yet on Spotify. We are working on that um, as best we can. But you can uh, access us on Podbean if you're looking for a third-party app that's not Spotify. And with that, guys, uh, we hope you have a fantastic time. Stay safe, stay healthy, uh, and we will see you next time. <laughs>